This episode of the Power Connect podcast is brought to you by the Global Energy Transition Forum. And we always believed that people could work remotely, but it was always this distrust that people, oh, well, you know, I got to see my employee. I have to supervise him. I have to be breathing on his neck or he's not going to work out. And so 21 years ago, I came out with this doctrine of uh, virtual intelligence providers, a company that could work virtually. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode number seven of the show happening today on this gorgeous Friday, July 1st. We are entering the second half of 2022, just a few days away from July 4th. So we want to give a preemptive happy July 4th. Happy birthday, America, to everybody out there. Be safe. Watch your digits. Keep them intact, folks, and, you know, use the punks when necessary. And always keep in mind, I was a punk before you were a punk. All right, great show today as we have Miss Sonia Clayton joining the program today. And Sonia is a trailblazer. She's an entrepreneur. Uh, she's an immigrant and has a just fascinating story on how she got here to the United States and how she has absolutely made the most of her time here. Uh, she is the CEO and founder of Virtual Intelligence Providers, which is an IT company. And you're going to hear a little bit about what they do over there. And she was ahead of her time when remote work wasn't a thing. She made it a thing some 21 years ago. So we're going to hear from Sonia about that. And then she's also the founder of the Global Energy Transition Forum, uh, talking all things, getting people transitioned mentally, emotionally, and professionally as part of the energy transition. So we're going to hear a little bit about that as well. I'm a member of the Global Energy Transition Forum with Miss Clayton. It's a fascinating group of folks uh, that she has put together. And so great stuff for Miss Sonia Clayton today on how the nonprofit was formed, how it's continued, how she almost decided to put a fork in it, but she was encouraged by others to keep it going because, again, right now the energy transition, the, the great resignation, all the changing of occupations, professionals, uh, what they're doing in the space, going from oil and gas to renewables and some even vice versa. And she's kind of helping folks get prepared for that. So great stuff today from Miss Sonia Clayton. You are definitely going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Miss Sonia Clayton. How did I start? It goes back 21 years ago. The towers came down, September 11 happened. I happened to be working there with a group of people. I recently resigned my position as a full-time employee, and I was paying off for a full-time project management position for an ERP implementation, an SAP implementation of the towers. And I had recruited and organized a group um, of um, consultants that were helping me there. Uh, it happens to be that the day that we were supposed to have our first meeting, which was, which was uh, 9-11, we were not there. So... We miss the whole thing, and, and we consider that an incredible blessing. So after we did that, uh, we all became unemployed. Uh, uh, the company that we were working for obviously lost money, and uh, it was a $4 million project that was nowhere to be collected because the whole thing came down. So they let the teams go, and um, obviously I didn't have a job. My team didn't have a job, and so we got together and started working on the second floor of the house, and created uh, VIP Global. And uh, it was very interesting. It was just everybody volunteering until we got our first project. Luckily enough, our first project was actually Shell, um, Pennzoil Lubricants. 
we branched off into Shell and uh, Conoco. We worked with Chevron. Then eventually we went to ExxonMobil, Semex, Waste Management. And so we ended up working with very, very large corporations. Fortune 100 corporations is basically what we went with. Let me just back up for just a second because, so basically what you're saying is that you were supposed to be in the Twin Towers on 9-11. On 9-11. Did the, the meeting get canceled? I mean, what was it as no, to... No, I, um, I had resigned my position because I wanted to be more of a mom. I had two children at that point and they were, you know, 10 and 12 and I decided that it was just not good for me to continue to travel that way. And then, um, but then they offer a little bit more money. They say you can be a project manager and make a little bit more money and, and you can call your shots, you can kind of make up your own schedule. So I felt attracted to the idea of being a consultant and not a full-time employee for the same company. And so since I had sold the project uh, to the New Jersey Port Authority, that was Tower 170 floor, that's where the first jet hit, then at that point I, I it's, you know, that's when I felt that that was a whole the whole thing was a miracle because I decided to think well I was thinking that okay here I am saying that I want to come home and be a mother and here I am back on a jet doing the same thing and I'm going to get greedy and I'm probably going to get I'm going to start asking for more money and they're going to give me the money and um, I'm not going to accomplish my first priority which was my children so on September 9th with which was a Friday I, I did all this pondering I pick up the phone and call the guy I didn't really like my my boss either so I was like why am I putting myself into this again and so you know I, I felt that was the right thing to do just not to so you okay so basically you quit the Friday before September 11th <laughs> I quit the Friday oh. before September <laughs> wow. And by virtue of me quitting Friday before September 11, the group that was with me didn't go because uh, basically in IT, when you're a project manager, you kind of carry your own crowd. Right. And so my crowd stayed put. So had you not decided that Friday, which I think what September 11 was a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. It so, was a Tuesday. You know, so what was that? September 6th, September 7th, whatever that was. Had you not decided and had, uh, you know, gone with your original reason for why you decided you wanted to get step back anyway, you would have been at work on that Tuesday. We would have been there. All right. So before we get into a little bit of that, I I, got to ask because, look, when you look at people that have been successful and when you look at people that have made choices along the way, some good, some bad, some things beyond their control, some things within their control, everybody's got a story as to how they ended up where they're at. How often have you thought about that decision and what helped you make that decision? Because, again, it's, you know, we always say the road to hell is paved with good intentions and you wanted to be a mom, but at the same time, too, they threw more money at you, right? Which, you know, that's always the great equalizer. But something in your gut made you stick to your original guns. What was that and how often do you think about that these last 21 years? I, I think a lot about that, how it happened. And uh, the thing uh, that kind of forced me to do this is uh, um, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we have a, a living prophet, a, a leader, a president, and he, he had recently spoken, and he had said, all working women go home. And that resonated with me. I kept on saying, well, <laughs> um, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should follow this advice. And, and I'm very thankful that I did. I did that. Yeah, absolutely. So you make that decision. It saves your life, 
Like, literally, that was a life-saving decision that you made. I mean, it's one thing to have an all life-altering, but that was literally a life-saving decision. And so... And also my employees' life. And your, and your employees' life. I mean, that's the thing. It was, I mean, it wasn't just... There, there was a, a, a compound effect on that. And so how has that decision sort of sparked and or guided you these last 21 years from a professional standpoint? Well, it was a pivotal moment and a profound moment at the same time. Profound because it helped develop my faith that there is indeed uh, something above our conscious that goes beyond who we are and that controls and rules our life. And in my opinion, that's God. And I'm a God-fearing woman, so I feel like... Uh, we the more we trust in god the more uh, guided we are and the better north we have and um, i have always you know remember this moment uh to just come to the conclusion that no one is too bright not to come to god absolutely and so you start and so because of that you decide to start your own company you had never had you ever started your own company before no so you had a little bit of project management experience but obviously now how long had you been in the that, that field it was the it field that you were in at that point, only like four, four years, four or five years at that point. So here it is. And of course, and let's call it what it is. I mean, it, you know, the world changed after 20, you know, after 2001, oh, yeah. you know, 9-11, 2001 and all, yeah. you know, in, in ways that, you know, that we still feel the effects today. And so you go out, you start your own company, and, you know, here we are 21 years later, and, you know, VIP is going as strong as ever. What were some of those first lumps like, and what was that first... How long did it take you to get kind of your sea legs under you and become the entrepreneur slash business owner slash business woman that you are today? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, the first years, I'll say the first three years were totally ramping up, laying the, the ground, uh, paving the road, discovering by trial and error what worked and what didn't work. Uh, one of the things that I discover is how poor the minority organizations are and how dedicated they are to the political. They, they lend themselves to the political establishment. And so everything is uh, an, entrance, uh, an interest. Uh, they have an interest, but you are not that, their interest. And, but they advertise it like, you know, come to the uh, Houston Minority Business Council or the Chamber of, or so-and-so Chamber of Commerce or, uh, oh, we are here to help you because you're Hispanic or you're, we're here to help you because you're black. The reality of it is um, that is a numbers game that goes for the big corporations to look good and uh, continue to get contracts from the government. So every big corporation, uh, Exxon, Shell, Chevron, all of them, uh, they do business with the government. And the government then has this mandate that says you got to help this small minority women business or you got to help these small uh, Asian organizations or uh, even the gays and lesbians, all the stuff that they're promoting right now. Everything is half a sad. They just want to take numbers and say, okay, I'm working with Sonia Clayton. She's Hispanic. Check. And that check goes to the contractual negotiations with the United States government. The government comes and look, they don't validate. They look in another direction. They don't validate that, okay, this is all of a facade. They just validate the check and you continue to get those huge contracts. How do they disburse those contracts? That's a whole different story. And good luck to you. So you gotta be really, really good. And you gotta find yourself in a reality spot to say, okay, this is not true, this is not gonna come through, 
you know, let's just be realistic about this multi-million dollar contract that they're offering here. Are they using me as a number and as a statistic? Or are they really intending to give me a contract? And, and very few get the contracts. So how did you, real quick, a little bit about who, so what is VIP for those that are listening and, and those brand new to it? What exactly does VIP do? Virtual intelligence providers is the long name. VIP Global specializes in information technology systems implementation. So we go into a project and we facilitate implementations um, of enterprise resource planning systems, meaning Oracle, SAP, PeopleSoft, uh, now they have merged with Oracle, but the largest enterprise systems in the world. That's how we started and then eventually branched off into uh, training and organizational change management and staffing and recruiting. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm no IT expert, but I don't think of you know, many women IT-owned business. Why IT? IT represented a challenge, and I never like easy things. <laughs> I was fascinated with IT. I come from the airline industry. I worked a, 10 years in the airline industry, and part of it, I, I used to work for the um, security department of the in, airlines that I worked with, and I started finagling with uh, tracking criminals and delinquents. At that point, I... I discovered the concept of databases and I thought, oh, what a great idea. Instead of tracking all these people manually or through, you know, telefax communications and systems, this is old systems, right? You I date mean, yourself a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I already <laughs> told you how old I am. We're talking about the telefax. Um, everything was so manual and uh, the databases were just barely coming up and I thought, well, this is a great idea. Let's just come out with you know, a plan where we can track all these criminals uh, in a database. And so I w started looking at SAP and Oracle, and they came and helped me set up uh, different sandboxes where I could start introducing data about these criminals. And then I brought in the federal agencies like the Federal Bureau of Investigation, CIA, DEA, ICE. Um, now, who are you doing this for? Like, what made what made you decide to go to the the, the criminal route? Because look, I'm a former cop reporter, so I'm I mean, look, I'm fascinated by this. But uh, you know, we, we could get on that could be a whole other podcast whole right podcast, there. Yeah, um, I I am Colombian and uh, by birth, and uh, they were looking for a relationship with someone that could go to Colombia and help with. Colombian um, drug interdiction program from the uh, airline industry. Okay. So I was single out for that project. <laughs> and I'll tell you more about that. But it was fascinating. And so that's when I started tracking um, narco traffickers and people um, in human trafficking as well. And so it became a science. And so I created a, a, an exchange with the Department of Justice and they gave me then um, partnerships with all the federal agencies. Okay. And, and so it was fascinating. And at that point, I started creating databases. So the databases will then be available to the federal agents, to the federal agents, and they will be able to come and mine it, basically. Okay. And, and so that, I was Continental Airlines, by the way. And so I don't think Continental's still around, are they? <laughs> not, not, now it's United. So that's kind. And so that was kind of how you got started then yeah. with the whole IT Technology. database. And so that was kind of what. That, I tell you what, that's about the most interesting way I've ever heard of getting involved in IT. So then obviously you you. So what was when did you start making the change to, I guess the oil and gas slash you know non criminal sector side of things. 
in 2000, I, I was tired of the airline life. Um, I had a ju jurisdiction, a security jurisdiction over 35 countries, and it was overwhelming. I am the sandwich gen generation. I have my mother, who is still around. She's 102 now. and um, But in those days, she was already elderly. And then I had my children and my husband, and so I felt like I had to be home more often uh, than what I was doing. it. And, and so I decided that, okay, I'm going to try to find me a job that is going to keep me in the ground. And so... I went to work for a company called the ACG. They were the division of training of SAP. And so I, tr I got trained in SAP. They were looking to expand themselves into Latin America only. And that was Brazil and Venezuela and Mexico. So I thought, that's pretty cool. I can do three countries and not 35. <laughs> and so fascinated. I took the job. And they trained me in IT. Okay. And so then, uh, and so then you start VIP, three years of, of getting rocking and rolling there. And so what... When did you, did you have an idea about what kind of companies you wanted to work for? And, and what was kind of the basic offering? I guess it was just what? You were just going to do all IT based off of yeah. everything, just from the databases and what have you. So like you alluded to, implementing that. How did you decide what companies to go after? Or was it kind of just, look, this is what we're presenting, and we're just going to go out cold call. We're going to go out and mark. How, how did, what was that process Well, my like? idea was actually to create a team that will go to Latin America. Okay. Um, we... we we knew SAP, we knew ERP systems, and we knew how to implement them. But the idea was to take them to Latin America because they were brand new in Latin America, and the cost of a, a, a consultant was $300 an hour if you brought that individual from the U.S. So my idea was I was, I was just going to do these consultants for $35, I mean, for $75 an hour, and I would then, um, you know, be more Latin America market-based. And obviously, I was going to be the boss, so I didn't have to travel. I was just going to send my international consultants out like they did with me. But what I, um, what I discover is um, when I send my first ad advertisement out, uh, because we had entered an immediate recession after the 9-11 attack, no one had money, and all those IT hefty uh, budgets got slashed in half because now something that had never happened before Somehow the corporations had to produce budget to protect themselves physically from a terrorist attack. So they were slashing those budgets and giving half of that budget to a newly formed corporate security department. Which actually dovetailed beautifully because you had done, so it really worked out because that's what you had done in your previous life already. Exactly, exactly. And so then we started a security service offering where we would just probably go in and offer databases about maybe criminals or things like that. But that didn't go too well. I stuck with the ERP systems because the oil and gas companies were complaining about how expensive the labor was. $300 an hour for an SAP consultant was outrageous then and it's outrageous now. And so that, that was probably the, the element that intrigued me the most. And I said, I can cut this in half, if not less. So I went to market with uh, very low rates, like in the $75, $100 an hour. And uh, I never left the US. I ended up uh, being contacted immediately by the big companies like Shell and Chevron, Semex, Waste Management, all yeah. of those big uh, corporations that had some type of ERP systems need. Let's talk a little bit about global energy transition. When did you decide to start that group and what was kind of it? I mean, where were you at in your business world, and what made you decide to kind of go ahead and branch off and start something different? 
Well, we, um, we started as a virtual company 21 years ago. And in those days, no one talked about virtual. I was going to say, that was before it was even a, you know, nobody <laughs> that, that was about Citrix that. connections to your telephone cable. Yeah. Uh, very slow, right? Uh, but the idea or the concept of working remote is what was behind it. And we always believed that people could work remotely. But it was always this distrust that people, oh, well, you know, I got to see my employee. I have to supervise him. I have to be breathing on his neck or he's not going to work out. And so... 21 years ago, I came out with this doctrine of uh, virtual intelligence providers, a company that could work virtually. And um, one of the reasons is because we got hired to document corporate security department documentation uh, for the Department of uh, Security or Corporate Security for, for the airlines that I used to work for, but also um, that data went to the Department of Justice. And so... That was being operated virtually because our employees were all working remote because we didn't know who these terrorists were or whatever. So 21 years later, we um, or 20 years later, we get hit with COVID. And so everybody's asking, oh, wow, you've been a company, a virtual company for 21 years or 20 years. Uh, what can you teach us? What can you tell us? And so a lot of uh, business came out of that. And... Um, I give a lot of free advice. I talk to a lot of people. and um, But then in the meantime, for the last 20 years, I have become a vendor to different oil and gas companies. And so there is COVID. And during COVID, a lot of things changed. And the employee kind of rediscovered them himself or herself and said, okay, I really like this life uh, balance. This new life balance is good. But through the years, I've been told that, no, this is the only way I could operate. So a lot of people started cons reconsidering their careers and reconsidering what they wanted it to do. A level of disgruntledness came to pass in the workforce. And a lot of companies felt that, okay, if you're not coming back to work with me, I'm going to dismiss you. But then there's the great resignation starting to happen as well. It's like, well, if you don't care about me as an employee, I don't care about you as my employer. And so it has been an interesting period for the employment workforce. In that process, a lot of companies took the opportunity to clean house. In the meantime, we get the new administration coming in and saying, okay, everything is green no more uh, fossil fuels, no more drilling, uh, no, more uh, no more fracking, let's just, uh, let's just move to green. And obviously the government is in power and all these big corporations worship the government so they all drop to their knees and they say, yeah, at this point we don't need more geologists. So thousands of geologists ended up in the market. And with that, um, we have, our company has a, an implementation division, a change management division where we manage change for corporations and big transitional change, and then uh, and a staffing and recruiting mm -hmm. services type uh, division. And so at that point, um, I was contacted by different uh, clients to say, you know, I feel bad about letting go these 10 people. Could you help them connect with people? that may need them and so i started networking a lot of them and in the process i discovered that for example in the case of the geologists these guys were highly educated they were phds and but they had no place to go and yet they have invested the you know seven ten years of their lives becoming a phd and now guess what your job does no longer exist in america because now we're green and we're not looking for you know we're not exploring we're not 
producing the way that we used to produce oil. And so these guys are placed on the on the street, basically, and they give them a little severance, pack, severance package, and they go out there, and they are looking for, for months. They're losing homes in the neighborhood. They're losing, um, they're having to move. They're having to grab jobs and become underemployed. And so I realized there is a, a big gap. There's this powerful, there are these powerful employers saying, John Doe, you are being dismissed, sorry, but we don't no longer practice exposure and production the old fashioned way, so I don't need geologists, see you later. And then um, there's other organizations saying that they are emerging and they have jobs and they have millions of jobs to be given, but they are not giving an opportunity to these guys that are being displaced. They're not giving an opportunity for them to transition organically into the new world. And so they are having to lose homes, they are having to relocate, they're having to uh, take jobs that are not what they study for, or they starting their own entrepreneurial uh, enterprises and trying to venture on their own and see, well, I still have a skill set that I believe is valuable, and I'm going to go to the market, and I'm going to make this my enterprise. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. So that's why I created the Global Energy Transition Forum. And um, it started as a forum, and now it's just a global energy transition. We call it GET. With what's going on in the energy transition, I'm a big believer in that it's going to take both renewables and fossil fuels. There are more than one ways to green the grid, as I'm a big believer in, and I think a lot of people uh, will agree with that. And so what have you found as being maybe some of the biggest misconceptions and or maybe some of the biggest misinformation when it comes to the energy transition, ver you know, when it comes to renewables versus fossil fuels? Yes. Yeah, one of the misconceptions is that society believes that it's going to be a smooth transition. And it's not going to be a smooth transition. No transition is smooth. The other misconception is that people are taken care of. And so they say, well, if I work for a big oil and gas enterprise, those people have their pockets full of money, and they're going to transition these people with tremendously comfortable packages and until they find their next job. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. They were letting go with maybe three months packages, um, and bear, no training whatsoever, no upskilling, no reskilling, and yet these individuals spend seven and even ten years trying to get a PhD, dedicated their lives to, to this career, and now what, right? And so that's a terrible misconception. Communities, government, they're not aware of this, that there is not a plan, a methodical plan, a well-designed plan that says, okay, if I'm going to terminate 2,000 employees, what am I going to do with these 2,000? How am I going to transition them? How am I going to make sure their families are established in place, um, that, th that there's not so much disruption for them? What am I doing for this individual that for the last 10 years worked for me, and unfortunately, I don't need him now? And so the individual, the person, the professional, is the one that is being hung up. And the assumption is that everything is going to work out just like everything else. What is right now kind of the short-term mission, and how do you see this evolving? Because obviously it continues to evolve. And then, of course, again, you've been a pioneer in a number of different ways throughout the course of your career. How can Sonia Clayton, with the wealth of experience she's got as both you know, an immigrant, as a business owner, as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, how can you take all the skills and life experiences that you have and how are you going to, you know, 
dare I say, help transition the folks in GET uh, into kind of reintegrating folks in this energy transition? Well, one of the things that you just uh, described is my life has been impacted by change and I'm shaped, I'm shaped by, by change. Mm -hmm. And so how do I take that change and apply into my community that has been impacted by these changes is by my own life experiences, I know it takes time, but I also know it takes political intervention, community intervention and community leadership entrepreneurial leadership, education, because we've got to transform these individuals into a new type of professional, and that takes and requires education. And so therefore, that's what I went after Stanford Business. That's what I went into Harbor Business. That's what I went through Brigham, Brigham Young University, Lone Star College. I want these guys to come in and be contributors to what we're doing, because these guys have the power. They know how, to, how the system works, how they can create programs and educational transition programs for groups like this. And so I felt that it was important to have at least um, educational representation government representation, entrepreneurial representation, and big corporations mm -hmm. representation. And that's what GET stands for. All those four elements are into GET. You know, there are programs, there are opportunities out there, but a lot of folks just simply don't know about them. They don't know. And they don't know because it doesn't exist, and we are kind of pioneering the whole thing, and okay. uh, it takes time. Uh, we started um, about a year ago, and I started out on my own penny and putting my own time and using my own resources and my own employees. And then in um, August of last year, I got COVID. My mother got COVID, and I called a bunch of people and say, you know, I'm quitting this, and they go, no, don't quit. <laughs> We will create a board and we will all pitch in and help. And so that's how GET was created. Our goal is to continue to help people and to help corporations and individuals transition successfully into this new green agenda that is being implemented. I agree that change has to happen. I, I agree that maybe we have been producing oil uh, in a very you know disregarded way. Uh, there are probably ways to make it cleaner. I agree with that. But I also don't believe that oil is going to go overnight as they want it to go. Like, poof, it's gone. It's not going to happen. Oil is strong. Uh, it takes oil to make green work. Mm -hmm. If oil is not present green, it's not going to work. I can tell you that. And so it is a process. It is a transition. And our goal is to educate people. We want to continue to educate big corporations about this. The impact that... Um, a big layoff related to this type of political agendas has a big impact in society. And, and big corporations tend to be aloof because these big corporate directors and vice presidents, they live well. They're compensated well. They are in the best part of town. And they are isolated from what happens in mid or lower levels of society. Mm -hmm. And... So they need to be told the story, they need to be exposed to the story, and we need to show cases of real cases of what happened here. And uh, we need to create conscience with corporations that you don't terminate people this way, it's irresponsible. But also, we need to make the individuals aware that this could happen to you tomorrow. Don't be so trusting. Be preparing. Be sharpening the saws, as Stephen Covey says. Sharpen your saw because you never know when your story is going to change. Your security could go away overnight.
like you say, we're living in a world of tremendous and tumultuous economic disturbances. What's going to happen? We don't know, but anything can happen. I come from, I was born in Colombia. I grew up in Venezuela. Trust me, I have lived this. <laughs> and I know how you can go from being one of the best, most strong oil and gas economical societies such as was Venezuela to what it is today in nothing country. So this could happen to us and we need to be aware. We need to create awareness. Uh, people need to learn why they vote, why voting is important, why getting involved politically is important because this is not for ignorance. We need to take control of what's going on somehow. And so this was my way to say, I'm going to take control of something and I'm going to bring with me people that care and I'm going to create an organization that looks into the future and helps prepare people for this type of catastrophic change because it could be catastrophic if it's not managed correctly. Thank you so much for that, Miss Sonia Clayton. You can catch all of the Power Connect episodes over at the website, thepowerconnect.net. Go check it out over there. And, of course, obviously at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. It helps with the algorithm. And I just think we do a good job. So, you know, hey, I'm going to go ahead and toot my horn a little bit there. Uh, don't forget July 4th, as we said, just a few days away. And if you're listening to this on the July 4th weekend, shout out to you and yours. And, again, uh, barbecue, have fun. Put your sunscreen on, and again, watch out for the fireworks, folks. Uh, just be careful. That's all I got to say on that. Shout out, as always, to the entire Clean Text team, Melissa Miller, everybody over there at Clean Text. Thank you, guys. We've got some great stuff coming up for you, uh, so stay tuned for that, as always. And, of course, we've got some great episodes on the way. Ben Parvey, David Brazil, just to name a few. We've got some good stuff coming up, so you definitely want to stay tuned for that. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. You don't believe me? Just step outside and see me. I was a pop